Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. Reading from NIV, Luke chapter 31, sorry, Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Evelyn, for reading God's Word for us. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. My name is Oliver. I'm one of the pastors serving with a team of elders here at Grace Baptist Church. Welcome to this gathering of Grace Baptist Church, and I'm delighted we can join our hearts together as God's people under God's word this morning. To my friends who are visiting with us for the first or second time, a warm welcome. I ask that you please register via the visitor's QR code or the given URL because we hope to connect with you. Um, and, and if you give us your details, we will be able to drop you a note and let you know how you can connect with us um, better. And for those of us joining us via live stream this morning, I'm glad, I'm glad they can join us as well while you may not be comfortable together in person as a large group, I do encourage you to seek other ways, perhaps on one, in one-on-one -on -one meetings or in small groups, to connect in person with the community here at Grace Baptist Church. For those of you who have been with us for the whole month of January, we have been slowly working our way through Luke chapter 17 and 18, doing a mini-series on living by faith, uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke. And for those of us who've been with us since the start of last year, we've been slowly working through the Gospel of Luke since the start of 2020. We are now in the fourth and final message of this mini-series. Yeah, I tried to summarize this in this table. There are a lot of words here, but for those of you who want to take a, a photo, you can, I give you permission to take out your handphone and take a photo of this. Okay? 
So this is a quick recap of what we, where we have been at. Eugene actually preached the first two parts, and in Luke 17, verses 1 to 19, that passage, Jesus calls his followers to live by faith. And this is, and this is characterized by forgiveness, humble praise, gratitude, watchfulness, and persevering prayer. And what's our response? We are to live by faith in Jesus, by forgiving others and humbly praising God for His Son. The second message by Eugene was in uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to Luke 18, verse 8. And that passage tells us living by faith means living in the light of Jesus' return by patiently confessing Christ and persevering in prayer. And our response we have to live by faith in Jesus as we await His return. And Ian spoke to us last weekend. He spoke from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 30. And that passage tells us that living by faith is to avoid the idolatry of trusting in lesser things. And our response, we are to forsake our dependence on these lesser things in our own good work and trust instead in Jesus work. Today, we'll be looking at the final part in Luke chapter 18, verse 31 to 43, as we wrap up this series of living by faith. And now, because we need God's Spirit to help us receive God's Word, let us pray. Father God, Sovereign Lord, we ask that your breath, the Spirit of God, enter these dry bones Make life come to our souls. Awake our souls to your word so that once again we may see with eyes of faith. We will see our need for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. From death to life through Jesus alone, may we find our life and pleasure in the Son of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was this young woman she was born in Putnam country, New York, in 1820. This baby girl became ill within two months. Unfortunately, the family doctor was away. And they had another man pretending to be a certified doctor treat her by prescribing medical bandages comprising hot mustard to be applied to her eyes. This young girl fortunately finally recovered, but the treatment left her blind. When the doctor was subsequently revealed to be a quack, he disappeared. A few months later, her father died. Her mother was forced to find work as a maid to support the family. And this girl, she was mostly raised by her Christian grandmother. My friends, amid such tragedies, what do you think the blind woman wanted? In her situation, what would you want? I know what I want, our desire to see, right? And not just to see, but to see clearly and go without the need for this thick multifocal spectacles. So the question before us, my friends, today is this. How can we see clearly? especially in our days of fake news and misinformation, how can we see truth 
and reality clearly? How can we have the clear sight that we desperately need? So if you have Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 43. We are still in the travel narratives as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem. And in this short 13 verses, we encounter Jesus, the merciful promised one of God. And he, we see Jesus interacting with both his disciples and a blind man. It's a short uh, uh, section of scripture. And you realize there's only two sections in this story. In verses 31 to 34, we see Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus' disciples, though they could see, they could not see clearly. And in verses 35 to 43, we have a blind man. Though he could not see, he saw clearly. What this passage tells us is this. Living by faith means trusting that Jesus is the promised one of God who died for our sins and was raised for our life. And in response, we are to plead mercy, having persistent and personal faith that Jesus will give us sight and understanding. So follow with me as we look at today's passage. For decades, research has shown that how we see the world is influenced by our expectations. And these expectations are called prior beliefs. And these prior beliefs help us make sense of what we are seeing and perceiving in the present based off similar past experiences. So some scientists from MIT, they wanted to study the brain. They wanted to find out how these beliefs can actually influence our brain activity and how it shapes our perception. The result of the studies led them to believe that prior experiences change the strength of the connection between brain cells. And this strength of connections actually determine how these brain cells act and interact with one another. And in doing so, it actually shapes the activity pattern so that the, the network of interconnected brain cells actually changes. This finding shows that prior experience shape activity patterns in our brain cells and it provides a clue on how experience shapes and alters brain connections. So what they, what they actually find in short is this. They found that brain activity patterns are biased. In short, expectations and prior experiences shape what we see and perceive. In verses 31 to 34, we see in Scripture as well how the disciples' self-imposed expectations hindered their perception and understanding of who Jesus is. And I'm indebted to Bible scholar Daryl Bock's work and insight in my preparation for this message, so I commend his work and his commentaries to you. So Luke 18, verses 31 to 34. This gives us the sixth direct reference to Jesus' death in this Gospel of Luke. It is also the fourth passage to mention the Son of Man dying. So when Jesus predicted his death, it wasn't like it was the first time the disciples heard it. Okay, they have heard it a number of times. But two things are, are unique here. Firstly, they tell us that Jesus' action fulfills what is written in the prophets. And secondly, more important for us to note, it shows us the disciples' continual lack of of understanding. The disciples cannot see 
nor understand how Jesus' death will accomplish God's will and plan. So in verse 31, Jesus announced to his 12 disciples that they are heading to Jerusalem to fulfill all that the prophets have written. Luke writes for us, And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. The note of fulfillment is emphasized here. It tells us that the events about to occur, they are part of God's design and plan. Nothing catches Jesus off guard. It wasn't like he's going there and suddenly, oh, this is, I'm I'm getting persecuted. Nothing catches Jesus off guard. Nothing falls outside of God's plan. And Luke has told us before that Jerusalem is significant. Jerusalem was the city where God's plan will be accomplished. And then we see in verses 32 to 33, it tells us that Jesus will be given over to the Gentiles. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So we see in the events to come, Jesus' opponents will mock, insult, spit on, flog, and then kill him. He'll be badly mistreated. And here we notice that Luke doesn't mention who will give Jesus over because he has already done so in Luke 9, 22. It's the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. It's the religious leaders that will give Jesus over. But the story continues and adds another element that is new here. On the third day, Jesus will rise again. Jesus will be resurrected. After suffering will be glory and vindication. And this is key to the Christian message. Another of Jesus' followers, the Apostle Paul, in commenting on this fundamental teaching of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 writes, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel or the good news I preach to you, which you receive in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And what is the message? That Jesus died for our sins according to to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. And He will be raised to life on the third day. All this in accordance with what was predicted in Scriptures. You know, by saying all this, you think that, wow, the disciples, when they heard what Jesus said, they'll be elated, they'll be happy. But verse 34 tells us that the disciples did not understand. They could not understand this. At least not until the end of the Gospel of Luke, the moment when they finally understood the Scriptures. So verse 34 tells us, but they, meaning disciples, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they, know, they did not grasp what was said. Jesus' life, my friends, fulfills Old Testament prophecies, yet is so full of surprising reversals as to what that fulfillment would look like. The early church saw that, saw that Jesus fulfilled the hope of the entire Old Testament, 
But how is it possible for the promised Messiah to die? That's the question the disciples have. Okay? And all these events to the disciples, they were initially ununderstandable, incomprehensible. Even though they followed Jesus and heard a number of his teachings, they still could not understand. Because Jesus did not uh, fulfill or affirm their expectations. In their days, the disciples had different expectations of what a Messiah will look like. They have different expectations of what God's anointed deliverer of Israel will actually do. They expected the Messiah to be a king that comes in victory to liberate the nation from Roman occupation. The Messiah was supposed to be a political saviour okay, that brings power, comfort to his people. They had let their expectations, perhaps of power as they associate with Jesus, of coming comfort for them, of affirmation by fellow Jews, shape how they see Jesus and how they perceive his teaching. Is this part of the mystery of God's plan that the disciples have trouble understanding? Now, Jesus claimed himself to be the means and fulfillment of the promise, okay, inaugurating, reordering, completing, fulfilling the Old Testament Jewish faith map. Jesus is both the end and completion of all the law had pointed to. But all this was uncomfortable and even an insult to pious followers of Judaism. The rejection of this claim by many Jews led to Jesus' death. And the son of man's approaching death is one of many of the surprises that we as believers in the modern church now take for granted. You know, our, our self-imposed expectations will hinder our understanding. So my friends, ask yourself, do I have any self-made, self-imposed expectations that hinder me from living a life of faith in Jesus? To my non-Christian friends who are with us this morning, I plead with you, do not merely dismiss Jesus Christ and His teaching because of your prior faith assumptions and expectations. Acknowledge that you too have prior beliefs and expectations that shape how you perceive Jesus. All I'm asking you is that please explore the teaching and claims of Jesus, giving it fair consideration. And do not let your prior experiences and frustrations and expectations blind you to who Jesus is and what He has come to do. My friends, if this is your desire, do drop me a note. Uh, my email address is on the PowerPoint slide in front of you. It's also on the church website. Let, uh, drop me a note and I can connect you to groups in Grace Baptist Church that study the teaching and claims of Jesus, that study the Bible. And uh, you can continue to explore uh, who this Jesus is and what He taught and what He came to do. To my Christian friends, I ask that you examine whether your expectations hinder your life or faith. You know, perhaps you do not want to take the role of sacrificially serving your family that God has given you because you are clinging on to the idol of power, thinking instead that perhaps you should be the one that they are serving. Okay? So when you serve, you are fearful of losing power by serving them. 
Or, or perhaps, my friends, you do not want to be a witness for Christ at your workplace because you are clinging to your idol of comfort, thinking that you do not want to face the possible discomfort of being a public Christian. You are fearful of the discomfort that comes from standing for Jesus. Or, or perhaps, you know, you do not want to stand firm on what you know the Bible teaches because you are clinging to your idol of affirmation, thinking that you desire wanting the affirmation of others around you. You are fearful that others around you do not approve of you. My friends, our self-imposed expectations will hinder our understanding. Sometimes we don't even see our own expectations and how it shaped how we perceive uh, situations and people. You know, you, you can perceive even well-meaning attentions in the worst way because we don't see how our expectations shape how we look at people and situations. But my friends, there is good news. This is where God gives us the grace of living in a community of faith. God has given us the means of grace through us, one another, the church. Because sin makes us blind. Because we are blind to our own blindness, we need brothers and sisters in Christ to speak truth into our lives. You know, I know many times, I, you know, when I first look at a situation, I've been blind to my own expectation. It was on hindsight when a brother or sister actually said, hey, actually, you know, could you, would you have considered this? Perhaps you can see it this way. Only when prompted, then I could see things in a different way. So my brothers and sisters, we need others to be corrective glasses to help us see clearly. You know, in, in this, this COVID-19 times, while we practice social distancing, let us not fall to social isolation. We need one another in our life of faith. And I encourage you all, as the COVID-19 restrictions gradually lift, make every effort together again or if not, if there are valid health concerns, at least meet in person one-on-one -on -one with a brother or sister in Christ or to attend small group meetings. We need one another. We need to be corrective glasses for one another. Finally, church, we need to ask ourselves, have we as a church placed our self-made expectation on others and therefore hindered them from coming to Christ? I'm speaking to Christians and believers here. You know, non-believers, they will think, feel, and act like non-believers. Okay? We shouldn't impose external behaviours on rules on them. We should not insist that they dress a certain way or speak in a certain way or, or keep some man-made rules uh, in order for them to come and, and visit church or explore the claims of Jesus. So let us not hinder people that God is bringing from coming to and finding rest in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. It's a beloved series of uh, children's book that serves as a metaphor for Christ, the gospel, and the Christian life. In one of the books of The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, we again encounter the Penvency children Peter and Susan, 
tragically cannot see Aslan, the lion, because they don't believe he is there. For the moment, they have become too cynical. Their minds are close to Aslan's influence. But rather it was Lucy, the youngest, who was the only one in the party whose simple faith and trusting nature allowed her mind to be open to Aslan's presence. So she was able to see the majestic and great lion. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 35 to 43, we encounter a blind man near Jericho who exercises this Lucy-like faith. The faith that the Gospel writer Luke has really described for us in Luke chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. A childlike faith that receives the kingdom and clings to King Jesus. Exercise of this kind of faith will then allow us or allow the person to enter into the kingdom of God. Let's look at Luke 18, verse 35 to 43. We see in here the fourth and final miracle in Luke's record of the Jerusalem journey. You know, miracles have been few in this section because Jesus' instruction and his conflict with religious leaders have been emphasized instead in these travel narratives. But this last miracle is significant because it highlights the one who does the healing. Jesus heals as the son of David. You know, what irony. While many struggle to see who Jesus really is, and the disciples also struggle to see who Jesus is, okay, a blind man has full clarity of vision and sight. Let's look at verses 35 to 37. It tells us that as Jesus nears Jericho, okay, he, meaning Jesus, draws, drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So Luke paints a picture for us. A blind man is begging by the road and he hears the commotion. He asks the crowd what is going on. They tell him that Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, Nazareth is Jesus' hometown. And in those days, it's like a back, Ulu backwater. So they tell him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And what we see here is the blind man has apparently heard about Jesus. Probably news of Jesus' teaching and miracles have traveled to his ears. However, the blind man sees clearly. He knows that Jesus is not just a mere Nazarene. And we see this in his response. Because everything in his response to Jesus show that he has not only heard about Jesus, but he has believed something about Jesus and trust that Jesus can change his life. We see his response in verses 38-39. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. In these two, verse, two verses, he called Jesus son of David twice. In calling Jesus the son of David, the blind man recognizes that Jesus is the promised one of God. And I need you to just look at the blind man's faith. The blind man may not know every detail, 
No, he may not have received every teaching, he may not attend every equipped class, uh, but he, he, he may not know everything there is to know about Jesus, but he knows enough. His imperfect faith trusts that Jesus is the promised one of God. My friends, you need to hear this. It's not how perfect or how strong our faith is, but rather who we place our trust in. Let me repeat that. It's not how perfect or how strong our faith is, but rather who we place our faith in. Having faith in Jesus as the son of David, our perfect deliverer, is what really matters. And the title, Son of David, expresses Israel's messianic hope. So by calling Jesus Son of David, there is some messianic uh, 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 emphasis here. Okay? When, when you hear a Jew here, a son of the, the title Son of David, they expect that this person is the long-awaited promised one in the line of David who will deliver his people. The blind man wants Jesus to exercise the power he has heard about on his behalf. And do not miss the have mercy on me. The blind man calls on Jesus for his healing and salvation. And he acknowledges his lack and calls on Jesus with his whole person. The blind man exhibits this personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He trusts his welfare to Jesus as the son of David, the merciful promised one of God. And this is in contrast to the crowd's perception. Okay, the crowd's popular perception is that this blind man you know, is too insignificant for Jesus to pay any attention to, that he should be quiet and leave the teacher alone. But what happens? We see that the crowd rebukes, strengthens the blind man's resolve. He cries out even louder, pleading mercy. And he in doing so, he demonstrates a persistent faith of, even in the face of opposition. Verses 40 and 42 tells us that Jesus heard the blind man's cry. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Jesus Hearing the man, asked that the man be brought to him. The crowd is wrong. Jesus is concerned for people like the blind man. The surrounding culture may want to ignore him, but Jesus, despite the blind man's lack of position in the world, wanted to respond to his insightful cry for help. Because my friends, God looks to the heart and not to a person's social status. Jesus asked the man what he wanted. He did so, not because he didn't know, but he did so to elicit his desire publicly and to draw his faith in Jesus. The blind man replied, he wants to see again. He metaphorically throws himself on Jesus. His faith is a faith that prostrates itself before Jesus, trusting in Jesus alone to meet his need. The blind man trusted that Jesus will heal his blindness. And the word translate, that translate made you well is actually translating a word that can both mean physical healing or salvation. 
And Jesus then granted his request, healed his blindness, and spoke that the blind man's faith has saved him. What we see here in this interaction shows that this is much more than just the blind man recovering the ability to see. The blind man trusts that by asking Jesus, the son of David, to provide what his power, only his power can deliver, the blind man's sight will be restored. And we see Jesus not only opening his eyes, he also saves the blind man. He affirmed that the blind man can walk on the road with his eyes on God. The blind man has been saved into a relationship with God. His faith has brought both deliverance and true spiritual sight. And those of us, the promise here is those of us who approach God in such confidence, God can make us see and give us spiritual sight. Verse 43 ends with the blind man who follows Jesus uh, and praising God. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What we see here, the blind man's faith is a faith that resulted in praises to God. The people likewise changed their tune and praised God. God has worked powerfully again through Jesus. And this miracle represented another indication of the fulfillment that Jesus has brought about. Jesus himself announced at the start of his earthly ministry in Luke 4, 16-18, where he read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery, the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. A blind man see. Jesus fulfills Scripture. Access to God has been opened up through the blind man's faith in Jesus in the son of David. You know, my friends, we often hear seeing is believing, this conventional wisdom, but this gospel story turns this conventional wisdom upside down. If we believe, we shall see. My friends, ask yourself, is there any area of my life that I have to trust Jesus and plead mercy. To my non-Christian friends, perhaps you explored the claims of Jesus Christ, but you are still hesitant. I plead with you today. Go to Jesus and plead for mercy and sight. Tell Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You may not know every detail, nor you have every answer to, to, that you seek, but you do know this that Christianity, as Paul laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, is based on a bloody cross and an empty tomb. It is not a blind leap, but anchored on events that happened in a specific time and space in history. And the key message of this good news, it tells us this, that we are blind and incapable because of the curse of what the Bible calls sin. But God, in His mercy, sends His promised deliverer, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, who dies on the cross in place of our sins. Jesus was raised to life after the third day for our life. 
if we but plead mercy and ask for sight, Jesus will give us sight and save us from the consequences of our sin. But it's not just my non-Christian friends that have to trust Jesus and plead mercy. My family and friends in Christ, you know, there may still be ongoing blind spots in our life of faith. I know I have. <laughs> just this weekend, it showed me I still have so many blind spots. You know? and, and for some of us, perhaps, we have let our faith grow cold because of our job's uh, expectation. And we give the reason of being busy at work. Or, or perhaps we have let our interactions with our faith community or the church grow distance because of our self-imposed expectations on how relationships should be. Or perhaps we let our faith be muted because of our schoolmates' clear pressure in our places of study. I ask you, my friends, trust Jesus. Hear His words in Scripture and seek to follow Jesus fully. And please, Jesus' mercy for Jesus' grace and enablement to live this life of faith. Pastor and teacher Philip Graham Riken writes, The story of the blind man by the side of the road is a call to persistent, personal and productive faith in Jesus Christ. One day soon, everyone who has this faith will see Jesus. The son of David has already gone ahead of us into glory, where he promised that we will see him one day face to face. The blind man demonstrated the kind of faith we ought to live by, we who trust in Jesus ought to live by. It is a faith that is persistent, that perseveres in crisis and comfort. It is a faith that is personal, that is a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a faith that prostrates, that throws itself at Jesus, being wholly dependent on Him. It is a faith that expresses itself in praise, that results from gratitude, that overflows into a life of praise and worship. My friends, as we finish up this series on living by faith, this is the kind of life of faith that we as people who trust in Jesus Christ are called to. And for those of us who have just woken up as we near the end of this sermon, here's the TLDR. So I give you permission for those of you who want to take out your camera on your handphones, your smartphones and take a picture, you can do so. So the TLDR, if you don't remember anything, remember these four lines. Living by faith means trusting that Jesus is the promised one of God who died for our sins and was raised for our life. And our response, we are to plead mercy, having persistent and personal faith that Jesus will give sight and understanding. What about the blind young woman we spoke about at the start of this message? The woman is Frances Jane Crosby. And amid these tragedies, she started to love uh, poetry, uh, poetry, perhaps as a way to express herself. Her first poem, written at age eight, echoed her lifelong refusal to feel sorry for herself but to trust in God. And while she enjoyed her poetry, she also zealously memorized the Bible, memorizing five chapters a week. Even as a child, she could recite the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Gospels, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, 
and many psalms, chapter and verse. Fanny Crosby, as she's more popularly known, made a significant impact on the songs and hymns of the church. Okay? She has definitely made impact in the history of hymnody in the church because she wrote not 10, not 20, but 9,000 hymns, some of which are among the most popular in every Christian denomination. In fact, she wrote so many that she was actually forced to use pen names, lest the hymnals are just filled with her names above all others. And for most people, the most remarkable thing about her was that she has done so despite her blindness and the adversity that she faced. Because she, being blind, had clear sight of Jesus Christ. And one of her most well-known and beloved hymns is Blessed Assurance. And the first two verses, uh, the first verse and the second last verse and chorus goes, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of glory. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Saviour all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Saviour all the day long. Perfect submission, Perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Fanny Crosby, though blind, saw Jesus clearly, living life with a personal, persistent faith that relies on Jesus. It resulted in hymns like this that praised Father, Son, and Spirit. Fanny Crosby trusted that Jesus is the promised one of God who died for our sins and was raised for our life. And through her life, she continues to plead mercy, having persistent and personal faith that Jesus will give sight, give her vision of rapture and understanding. My friends, what about you? Would you go before Jesus, the son of David, to plead mercy and ask for sight? Let us pray. Father God, we want to believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, we come before you confessing our lack. We plead mercy and throw ourselves entirely onto you. May your grace empower us to live by faith, trusting that you will supply spiritual sight. Give us perseverance in our faith walk. Draw us into a deep, intimate relationship with you. And may our lives be a song of praise to you as we daily trust and receive the gospel and tell others of this good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.